So, Marco, come on up. So I want to introduce to you somebody you already know. Many of you probably already know that... Go ahead, I'm sorry. No, you're fine. Many of you probably already know that Arco is in seminary. Are you almost done? Yearish. Yeah. Years. Okay, so he's got some time left. And it, it's... I haven't had a lot of time to spend with Arco. Um, he's got a very, very busy schedule. Um, but I still have eyes to see. And it's wonderful from my perspective, looking out across into his life and to see what is unfolding. He's in seminary. That's one thing. It's a great thing. But the bigger picture, the better picture to me from where, from where I'm standing is to see that God is unfolding before his very eyes a ministry. I'm, I don't know what God has ultimately in store, and I'm not sure if you do yourself. But we know that God is doing something great in the man's life. Amen. And listen, I, I, I can see it because the scripture teaches that, that God has a ministry for every single one of us. Even the least of us. God has something special for every single one of us. And obviously, Arco's in seminary because he wants to learn the Word of God. He wants to speak. He wants to deliver the Word of God. And so we are fortunate to have him here before us this morning. And would you bow your head with me as we pray for Arco as he prepares to deliver God's message, his voice to us this morning. Father, we thank you for Arco. We thank you for... For what you're doing in, in this young man's life. We thank you so much for the fact that he is here with us here this morning. And we are anxious. I'm anxious, Father God, to hear um, from him whatever it is you have deposited in his soul and in his spirit from your word. Father, speak to me. Speak to us. Help us to understand your will for our lives today. In Jesus' name we pray. And God's people say, Amen. Amen. Good morning, church. Will you bow with me in prayer? Father God, you reach us constantly as we live our lives to follow you. Even with your outstretched arms, we decide to push you away for our own agendas. Jesus, speak to our innermost hearts. Knock on the door and help us to invite you inside. Sustain us by keeping us to count every blessing when we are not in an attitude of being thankful and content. Soften our walls of protection, pride, and insecurity to allow your spirit to change us so that we become more and more like you. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. By now, most of you know how much I love food and talking about food. Oh gosh, thank you God for food. So, the last few years, I have been watching a show. It's called Kitchen Nightmares. Have any of you seen it or heard about it? I've been seeing some nods. All right. Um, how about this? Are you familiar with a person named Gordon Ramsay? He's a very, very famous chef. And uh, he has a little bit of an attitude, you might say. And he, he can be outright mean at times. But it, it calls for good entertainment. But then also, he, he's a good chef. But he goes around and he visits different restaurants. And he's there with this show so that way he's able to see these restaurants that have been um, written to him about so that way they can see the bad service that they might have 
or bad food. Often it's like a lot of frozen food that they try to serve to you as fresh. And um, you, know, you can see things are raw or overcooked. You have people that are just giving you the worst attitude. They'll just drop a plate there and not care. They're yelling in the background or the manager is just watching TV and not caring. And the place is a mess. There's, it just goes on and on. You can imagine some bad restaurants that you've been to and usually all of that is included into what we see on TV. So, yeah, it, it gets pretty entertaining. We get to see how they just uh, cut corners to save time, money, and uh, energy and effort uh, to just try and run the restaurant. And they're thinking that they're saving their money and uh, trying to be more successful. But in reality, they're just going worse. They're, they're ruining themselves. So Chef Ramsey, he comes in and he finds out the backstory of what's going on with these restaurants. And sometimes they have really great success uh, starting out and the, the people who are running it, they are vibrant, they uh, are enthusiastic, they care about their food, they care about their customers. And it's not necessarily about the money, but it's about their passion and they lost it along the way. And it just goes on and they're just struggling and he's trying to figure out now, he's looking at the lives of these um, staff and he's trying to see how their work ethic is and he's trying to adjust them. And as he does it, he provides different um, advice to them, and he'll provide a like, huge makeover. Sometimes the restaurants are just completely redone. You can't even recognize the place. And it seems like that would be perfect. That would be everything that you'd need, right? But in the shows, we see a lot of them are just uh, still struggling. They get, the, they get the advice. They get everything that uh, Chef Ramsey is giving them. But they want to continue back. And they just, they're they used to their own habits where they've done things their own way. They don't believe in how Chef Ramsey is like saying, you got to do this and it's about this. And they just disregard everything. And then their life, their restaurant, usually most of them just go under and they, they close the restaurant for good. And... They just believe that they know the best and they won't take anything. They just close off themselves and they just are stuck behind their own walls. They continue to blame everybody else but themselves. And so I want to share with you guys um, how we are, or how the earlier Christians take in what has been given to them, the advice, how they have been provided salvation not just the um, sacrifices that are given often to pay for their sins but their ultimate sacrifice that just takes over everything and pays for everything and we'll see how they act and respond to that so we're going to be turning into the book of Hebrews that is in the New Testament so towards the end of the Bible so you have the New Testament that starts with Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And then I'm going to give you guys a little bit of a mnemonic device to try and remember some of the books of the Bible a little bit more. So you have the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And then there's an acronym or a device, uh, Go Eat Popcorn. Okay, so now we have the stars of the show, like the ones who are presenting. The, those are the Gospels. Now Go Eat Popcorn is the next part of the show. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and Corinthians. 
And then after that, you get some cheers. And I'm a, a little bit uh, embarrassed to do this, but best, best, Tim, Tim, Ty. And so first and second Thessalonians, first and second Timothy, and then Titus. And then after the show, there's a fight that comes out. And uh, it's between two guys. Did you hear what happened to Philemon? Philemon, Hebrews, James. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> Hebrews, James, they got in a fight. So, yeah, we are at Hebrews uh, chapter 10. The context of this is that there's a writer. It, he's not um, disclosed. He doesn't announce who he is in this letter. But he's writing to the uh, Jewish Christians now, the ones, these believers, and they're struggling. They're struggling with going back to their old ways because they grew up as Jews. And so Judaism was their religion that they would follow. With that, they would go to the temple. They would have their sacrifices. They would confess, and that would be paying for their sins. So they would fall back into that, um, that rhythm, that pattern of their lives. Some of them were struggling with just understanding the truth of what Christianity was still. It was still new. It was a little bit obscure. Well, here we are 2,000-something years later, and we're still trying to figure it out too, right? We're still learning. So that's what their struggle is. And then some of them are just moving on into other religions, period. There's just a lot of faith that goes on. And, uh, yeah, the devil is trying to draw people in and make them see something else that's a truth and take them away from God. So let's start. Let's stand real quick quick for the um, reading of God's word. So Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10, starting at verse 11. Day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when this priest, and this priest is referring to Jesus, had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. Since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool, because By one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. And then let's jump ahead to verse 18, just a few verses away. And where these have been forgiven, there is no longer any sacrifice for sin. So every priest made holy, it's talking about how these older priests... uh, in Judaism are constantly trying to work and they're doing this day after day, year after year, and they're still trying to have sin um, be made whole, be cleared. But that's not it. That's not enough. So let's look at verse 19. Therefore, and we always have to think whenever we see therefore in the Bible, what's that therefore? So it's referring back to um, what was ahead in the sacrifices. Brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most high place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open for us through the curtain that is his body. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope 
we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another toward love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. Amen. You may be seated. So we celebrated Easter last week. That was when Jesus died on the cross. That's when he was buried. That's when he was resurrected. We just read something that said that the curtain tore. It opened for us through the curtain in verse 20. The curtain tore. What does that mean? Have you guys heard that before? So, that is referring to the area of the Holy of Holies. That's where God's presence was on earth. And that would separate um, the area of where he was, where God's presence was, from everybody else. And so now with the curtain tearing being torn as Jesus had died, there's no more separation between God and the people. So, now he's saying that because that sacrifice has been made, because the curtain is torn now, we are in his presence and our sins have been forgiven. The temple was a place where people would gather to pray, to ask God for forgiveness. And... There are a lot of areas for the temple. Uh, I, I mentioned Holy of Holies, but if you don't understand, imagine first going to the temple, and there are different courtyards. The first courtyard is for the Gentiles, those who are not of Jewish descent. And then in the inner more um, court for that is the one for Jewish women. And then inner more than that is for Jewish men. And then inner more of that is for Jewish priests. And then inner more of that is for the uh, sacrifices to be prepared. And then from there, we have the Holy of Holies. That is where the one high priest could go in. He can get into the uh, curtain and he can be in God's presence. And that's where he would offer that sacrifice. And no longer do we need that. We can be here. We can be in Norwalk. We don't need to go to the temple. We can be anywhere in the world and we have... God's presence. That is so good. But as we focus on that and we think that that is good and that is easy, we're, we're set. I want to encourage you guys and warn you guys of what can happen as we do that. Let me read verse 22 to 25. Actually, let me ask you this first. How should we respond to sin after knowing that Jesus is the one and only sacrifice needed to forgive us of our sins? We know that as we go into verse 22 to 24, that it's saying to draw near to God. It's saying to have hope that is never changing. And it says that we are to never give up meeting together. So those are the things that we should focus on to keep us going. But we also need to be aware of what can happen. So, how should we respond to sin after knowing about that sacrifice? The way that we should respond to sin is that we must not intentionally 
continue to sin or else face God's wrath. We should not intentionally continue to sin. That's the key word. Do you guys know what penance and indulgences are? So that's like an old term that we don't talk about anymore. And it's more about the church history in the uh, Middle Ages. So that's like 1100s to 1500s. And we're talking about the Reformation and some guy named Martin Luther. Not Martin Luther King. He's different. The original Martin Luther. And he is the one where the Lutherans come out of. And so if you had sinned and you repented, you would go in and tell the priest that, I'm sorry, this is what I did, and um, I I want to be forgiven. And then there would be an exchange, and then that priest would say, here are your penance. You can um, say the rosary, you can go to Mass, you can can serve in some way, or you can pay in some way. And it's paying just above what you would normally give. So that's a penance. But then, after a while, it got changed. It became abused. Yeah, it's really sad. That's a, a dark part of church history. But the priest would end up uh, allowing you to pay for an indulgence, meaning that you could pay a higher sum than that penance, and that that alone would be okay. You don't need to do any of the other stuff. And you don't even need to confess. You don't need to um, be sorry for what you've done. And one way that it was explained to me was, uh, for example, there would be a husband, and he could say, oh, next week I think I'm going to go meet up with this uh, woman. She's not my wife, but I'm going to go spend time with her. And, um, yeah, that's not good. But he would get an indulgence, Beforehand, planning it out, and he'd be okay. That's not right. That's not the way that God works. And so, we have to have a repentant heart. We need to be struggling. We can't just give in to sin intentionally, or as it says in verse uh, 26. If we deliberately keep on sinning after we have received the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sins is left, but only a fearful expectation of judgment and of raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. There's no repentance that way if we just continually give in to sin. Let me phrase it a different way. If you don't stop intentionally sinning, you become an enemy of God. Ooh, that's a strong phrase. That can't be right. Well, it's true. Let me share with you some uh, different views. So one is an Arminius view from Arminianism, which is a Christian school of thought um, following a belief by a guy named Arminius. And it says that a person can profess that they believe in God. They can be a true believer. But there is a possibility of them losing their faith. Then there's Calvinism. Then that says that someone may say that they are a believer. But if they turn away from their faith, they were never really a believer. 
So these are much deeper schools of thought and um, beliefs that we can definitely spend more time than today talking about. But if we look at them just at face value, we can see that they both agree on one point, that for a person who has forsaken their faith, that has forsaken Christ, and they choose their own sins over Jesus, they're not saved. Would you guys believe that? One says that they've lost their salvation. The other says that they've never had it in the first place. The devil cannot just steal our salvation. Don't get me wrong, okay? He can't just take our salvation and that's it. We're, we're gone. Jesus will never forsake us, okay? Remember that. He will never forsake us. But I believe wholeheartedly that these things are true. And I believe that we forsake Jesus time and time again. We forsake Him over our own desires, over our own temptations. Alright. I want to ask you guys, who is perfect, who has never chosen something that they wanted, their own temptation, their own sin over Jesus? Raise your hands proudly. I'm just sowing it. I'm not doing it. I'm just saying. Okay? <laughs> Alright. Let's see a show of hands. If you have chosen a temptation, if you've chosen your own pleasures, your own desires, your own world, your own flesh over Jesus, raise your hands. Yes. So, as we do this, we are dealing with our sin, and we're going to always deal with our sin until... We are made perfect in heaven when Christ comes again. But for now, we are flawed. We have sin in our DNA. You know, we can't escape it. And we just have to rely on Jesus. And we can't just live the way that we once were without Jesus. We have to stop that sinning. And yes, it happens because we're not perfect yet. But we need to um, work on it, and we have to struggle with it. It says intentionally. That just means that you're not giving in. You're not even caring at all what Christ says. You don't have any repentance of what you're doing. You don't care. You're happy to do your own sins rather than Jesus. And you, you have no worry at all about what he's going to say. That's one other position that some Christians might think. If you pray a prayer and you spend time and say that you are saved, that you can do whatever you want from now on. They live like that. They can um, go and they can um, spend their money. They can um, steal. They can have sex outside of marriage. They can murder. They can do anything that you guys can think of. Because they activated the saving grace of Jesus. Does that sound right? No. No. You have been forgiven of your sins, but that doesn't mean that you can do anything that you want now. How many of you are familiar with the game Monopoly? All right. So, in the game, you're buying real estate, and the game revolves around making deals and taking chances. You can make money, you can lose money, you can even go to jail. There is one card that many of you know and it's this one. It's hard to see, but it's the get-out-of-jail-free card. So, 
With this, you can um, get out of jail without paying the bail or spending a lot of time there. Some people act like they have this card in real life. They treat it like a get-out-of-hell card. It doesn't work like that. It sounds like these people are horrible, that they are really considering what it is that has been given to them, and then they just go on and do whatever. It sounds like it's those people and not us, right? No, you have to be careful. That can be us. You have to be careful. You have to not equate sin, no matter how small. Imagine sitting on a wooden chair. Wood is really strong. Not, not like Ikea wood or you know, something like the, the fake wood, but like a true wooden chair. And you, know, you can put your weight on it and it's good. But imagine as you sit on that chair, every time you sin, you take out like a small slice out of a leg. Even if it's a small sin, even if it's a big sin, it's just a small slice. No big deal, right? But as you keep on sitting on the chair and as you keep sinning throughout your life, you just keep making more cuts on that leg. Eventually, that leg is going to snap. You're going to go and you're going to fall. You're going to fall down hard. I don't want you to be insensitive how sin works. It's poison. You think you're eating the best chocolate in the world because that's how good it feels and that's how, how uh, appealing it looks. But each bite has a small amount of poison in it. You might be fine at first. You might get hurt. Or you might die. Is it worth it? So it's one thing to struggle with sin and to give in. We all have our personal sins. We're all sick. The church is a hospital for the sick. We're not here because we're good. We're here because we're sick. Some of our sicknesses are more visible than others. Some of them are hidden. Some are just more out and open. Our lives will be a war against sin until we see Jesus again. Sometimes, sin's, sometimes sin wins a battle, but we need to push on. We can't give up. We can't let sin continually take over our lives. We need to give it all up to Jesus. And remember that he already won the victory. It doesn't matter about these small battles. Jesus has won the war. He's won victory. We need to rely on his strength and his promise. Over my life, over your lives. Resist and reach for God's love. And the way that we should respond to sin is that we must strive for Christ. Let's turn to verse 32. Remember those earlier days after you received the light, when you stood your ground in a great contest in the face of suffering. Sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution. At other times you stood side by side with those who were so treated. You sympathized with those in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that you yourselves had better and lasting possessions. So do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. 
you need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. These Christians are suffering from insult, persecution, imprisonment, confiscation of property. That means they're just taking their stuff and death. But being here in the U.S., 2,000-something years later, in the city of Norwalk, it's much different, but it's still very much similar. We have our own issues. We have insults. We know people that bash Christianity all the time. There's peer pressure. There's violence at times, like shootings at churches. There's a separation of state and church. And the media is surrounded by money, sex, and power, and much more. We need to strive to be like Jesus. We need to resist that sin. But there are so many rules in Christianity. Am I right? It just seems like it's just one thing after another. I remember growing up, I just had to obey the rules. But I didn't know why. I just remembered I had to obey the rules. Rules were made because God loves us. So I have two little girls, Evie and Kara, a five and a one-year-old. I tell them not to touch the stove or not to touch any of the hot pans and pots just after it cooked. I'm not doing that so I can be selfish and keep all the food for myself even though I love food. It's because I love them and I don't want to see them getting hurt. I don't want to see them burning themselves. They don't understand but I'm telling them this just so that way at least they can focus on just not, how not to get hurt. And over time, you know, they might take a risk and they, will, they might end up hurting themselves, but I, at least I can try to protect them. When a mechanic tells you to change your oil, do you just leave the shop and expect that your car can drive another 100,000 miles before even touching or looking at your oil? No. <laughs> you're going to end up somewhere on the 91 or something and then just pulled over and your car's broken down and, and you say oh I, I should have listened the mechanic mentioned it because it's good for you and it's good for your car just so that way the oil isn't too dirty it doesn't get too thin the properties of the oil are no longer um, working that it lubricates the engine or you might have burned your oil enough that there's nothing left. But that's because he knows better, but we don't always know that. So I want to encourage you guys, go to small groups, going to church, going to prayer night, connecting with others on the phone, if you can't even do that, or make it fun, go out to coffee, or go get some food. If you guys want to take me out sometime too, I would so love to do that with you guys. But if you do all these things, you can support each other. And... That's not a rule necessarily that was given to us, but it was for our benefit. So that way we can have a strong family, we can encourage one another, and we can stand away against our temptations. You guys remember me mentioning the show Kitchen Nightmares, right? They didn't listen to Gordon Ramsay, and their restaurant survived or didn't survive based off that. Don't let your lives be a part of Christian nightmares. Listen to Jesus. Listen to the leaders that have been telling us God's good word right here. 
for our benefit. And I want to show you guys one more game. So, you guys know Monopoly. This is Long Beachopoly. All right. So there are a few different versions all across the U.S. of just different cities that have been uh, featured. The first one I, I noticed was Comptonopoly. And uh, yeah, if you guys want to take a look at this, like later down, uh, it shows like Queen Mary, different things like that. And it's pretty cool. But we should be thinking about a Norwalkopoly. And I'm not talking about the game, but I'm wanting you to think about how we can share the kingdom with other people. How we can tell them who our king is and how he conquered death. And he is offering salvation for all of us. And it doesn't take a card. It just takes accepting him. So his sacrifice should lead us to draw closer. It should have us have a strong hope in him and encourage one another in love. I said that earlier in verses 22 to uh, 25. But let me end with the author's last verse. Uh, with the author's last verses of that chapter. Verse 37, chapter 10. For in just a very little while, he who is coming will come and not delay. Talk about Jesus. But my righteous one will live by faith. And if he shrinks back, I will not be pleased with him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who believe and are saved. I want to encourage you not to shrink back. I want to encourage you to not be destroyed. I want to encourage you to stand strong. I want to encourage you to resist temptation. I want you to believe and know that you are saved because we have such a good God. Let's pray. Oh God, you promise us goodness. You choose us to be with you. Even how nasty our sin can get, even how ugly it is that we are, you choose us and you love us. You went out of your way. You suffered so much and died because you wanted to be closer to us. How wonderful, how marvelous is that? How marvelous are you? Help us to be aware of the sin that's in our lives. Help us to reflect back to see what things trigger us and what are our temptations. It's a big step, but help us to step out, maybe to tell somebody else about it. So that way we can have someone else who has our back to guide us, to keep us in the safe zone, to help us stay close to you. Let us be not just a church, not just a congregation. Help us to be a family who looks after one another because we love each other. Thank you, Lord, for all that you've done and all that you are. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you.
we have, that we will be with Christ Jesus in heaven when we leave this earth. song when we think in terms of the grace of God, when we think in terms of the love of God for us. Where are you with your faith here today? Where are you with your faith here today? I encourage you, I encourage everybody search the scriptures, seek the face of God discover today wonderful and new things from the Lord regarding your life what is it God desires for you? How is it that He desires to use you? How is it He desires to use your, your talents, your abilities here in this church, in this fellowship of faith? How wonderful is God? Let us pray together. Father, we praise You today. We magnify Your holy name. Thank You so much for Your Word today. Thank You so much for Your inspiration. Thank you so much for the things that you teach us every time we open up your Bible, the Word of God. Thank you for the insights today, Lord. Thank you for letting us know that you don't want us to shrink back, to fade away from the things that pertain to you. No, on the contrary, you want us to grab a hold of this thing. We thank you so much for the encouragement today. We bless your holy name. May you strengthen us as we go our separate ways. May you be with us in a very special way until we meet again. We thank you so much for these things, Lord God, in the precious name of Jesus Christ. And God's people say, amen. Do not forget, I'm not sure if you looked into your, in, in the bulletin here today, we do have a business meeting immediately, immediately after service here today. Um, and also, 
Next Sunday, do not forget, we have a number of baptisms that are scheduled. Be here is going to be a glorious time in the Lord as we hear from some of our very own declare publicly their faith before they get baptized. Thank you guys. God bless.